As we walk through the Ten Commandments each week, we build upon what we heard last week. And we're asking ourselves questions. How am I doing in these areas? How does this a commandment that was written many, many years ago apply to me today? And so today, if you're a person who looks ahead and you wanted to see what was on the docket, you probably looked ahead and saw that the Sixth Commandment said, you shall not murder. And thought, well, finally I got a week off. Not to walk away with uh, being challenged or, or even being moved and think, boy, I'm glad this message is for someone else. They're probably sitting in a prison somewhere or incarcerated. So why are we even talking about you shall not murder? I mean, those are the kind of crazy thoughts that we can let ourselves ramble with and run with. But the reality is this, is probably this commandment will surprise you the most, that probably there's not a single person in this room other than babies maybe that aren't speaking yet that hasn't broken this commandment. Yes, you shall not murder. Probably you've broken this commandment, and you might even have broken it on your way to grace this morning. You might have broken it in something you said this week. And you might be guilty of the sixth commandment of you shall not murder. So how is that possible? Did, did, well, Pastor Jim, I didn't pull out my AR-15, my AK-47. I didn't shoot my neighbor. I mean, I know I didn't like his fireworks going off, but the four lawns that were burned down, that was taken care of. But that's just the reality. I mean, so God, how can you say that this is applicable to me? And Pastor Jim, how can you say that you shall not murder is applicable to me when I didn't, last I checked, I didn't kill anybody. Is it possible to break this commandment without shedding a drop of blood? Is there a difference between killing and murdering? Is the translation a good translation here of you shall not murder? Another translation says you shall not kill. What is the proper translation? How do we look at this? What if in fact you found out today that this commandment is probably the one that you might need to be the most concerned with? The one that you might find yourselves that you might have broken more often than any of the other ones. In fact, you might have walked out of here with commandment number five last week. You shall, not, you shall honor your mother and father and walked away and were kind of angry thinking, how can I honor my, my parents who, who, because of this past? And you walked away angry because you're carrying bitterness and resentment from a past. And you were angry, not even righteous angry, just carrying bitterness and resentment. And you couldn't think anything good to think about them at all. And so you had this scathing mind full of, of, of a, a litany of words that weren't holy or righteous. And so you you come here today, this message might be more applicable than what last week's was. This is a continuation of, of how you felt last week. The truth is this, is that in our world today, we have a most wanted list. Our FBI is a most wanted list, and you can watch America's Most Wanted. But what if, in fact, you were watching that program, America's Most Wanted, and you had your, your, your snacks out in front of you, you're sitting with your remote control, and, and you worked hard all day, and you're coming, and you just want to wind down and just see what's happening in the world, and look at all these people who have done these horrible things, and, and you feel better about yourself, no, it's not you. And you're watching this program, and there is your picture, America's Most Wanted for Murder. How would you respond to that first? Well, your phone would probably begin to ring off the hook because friends and neighbors and relatives would call you. But how would you respond if your picture showed up on America's Most Wanted for murder? Would your first conclusion say, well, that, there's no way. I haven't murdered anybody. What if I told you today that your picture probably has shown up and probably should appear on America's Most Wanted or FBI's Most Wanted list for murder? Well, it might look something like this. A most wanted list. Take a look at some of these most wanted. <laughs> the intern's got to be up there, you know that. <laughs> Not when you're saying, yeah. Someone said, anybody have a phone? I heard that. That was great. The reality is this is probably your face has appeared. And you're saying, Pastor Jim, you got it all mixed up here. There's no way that I've ever murdered, and there's no way that I would ever appear. You might be a surprise as a person watching a program if your face appeared on America's Most Wanted for a murder. So today, you have to ask this question. How is that possible, number one? Is it possible? 
Is there more to this than just pulling out a gun and, and killing someone in premeditated murder? Or is it just dealing with something that not only is our action, but includes our words? You might come to the end of this message, and I would even go so far as say everyone in this room will come to the end of this message and say, guilty, 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 guilty. So what do you do with that? How do you live in a world where you know that by the time this message is over, I will guarantee you that your face has appeared on God's most wanted for murder? Grab your Bibles and I'm going to show you why. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up or ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But turn to Exodus chapter 20 and I want you to just look at verse 13. Genesis, Exodus chapter 20, and look at verse 13. We're going to look at the sixth commandment today. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. When you find that stand, we're going to read it. Let's read God's word. And it's an errant, infallible, spoken word and written word that's without error. And it's a living, active, breathing voice of God putting into words. And so it sharpens us. It, it also digs deep into our soul and our hearts and our minds. So let's just read Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. Ready, read. You shall not murder. Do it again. You shall not murder. You may have a seat. What does it say? What does it say? Does it say you shall not kill or does it say you shall not murder? It says you shall not murder. And I'm going to show you here in a second why I believe that is the the best translation. That is the translation that should be translated. That is the word, the Hebrew word that's used for murder. Can you remember even studying through this in grad school and spending tons of hours in Hebrew and Greek? I was a Greek and Hebrew minor in college and took it on to seminary, but this is one, we went through the Ten Commandments and looked at in the Hebrew. It was fascinating looking at this word and seeing that the definition and the translation should be murder and shouldn't be thou shalt not kill. But just a little sidebar here. By the way, if you carry King James today, it's a great Bible, great translation. And so sometimes we look at the NIV as a dynamic equivalent and say it's not as reliable when in fact it comes from, this is just, just purely information, let it jump off the top of your head. It's even the, 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 the New Testament even that's used to translate the NIV is a more reliable source than what was used for the King James. Just an interesting uh, sidebar comment there. So what does it mean you shall not murder? This commandment has been greatly misunderstood. And this misunderstanding has led to serious errors with this commandment. I'm talking serious errors. Does this commandment, ask this question right now, and you don't have to answer it out loud, but does this commandment forbid any kind of killing of any kind? Does it say you shall not kill? Does, this, does it forbid any kind of killing? Is the taking of another human life always sinful in God's sight? Is it always sinful? Is killing always forbidden by this command? If so, think about some of these scenarios. Is it wrong for governmental authorities to execute a murderer? Is it wrong for capital punishment? Is that something you should agree or disagree on? Is there, is there a passage in scripture that says that it's okay for capital punishment? Wherever you land on that, I know where I land on that, you gotta back it up with what God's word says. And so you'll have great people who love God will come to that conclusion, will come to a different conclusion. I land on the conclusion that, that we do live in a world where, and, and we have backup in the Bible that says capital punishment is something that's within the, the limits of God's will, Genesis 9, 6 shows us that, and also Romans 13. Was it wrong for the Israelites to kill and utterly destroy the inhabitants of the promised land? We shall not murder. Was it wrong for them to kill? Is it wrong or was it wrong for King Saul and his army to, when he destroyed the Amalekites, he killed the, not only the soldiers, he killed the women and the infants and the animals in 1 Samuel 15. Was, was Saul punished for his disobedience for not killing everybody? So are there times when killing is, is allowed? Do you break the, the sixth commandment when you do so? Does God allow for killing? Is there a difference between killing and murdering? Was it wrong for David to kill Goliath? 
You know, we, 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 we celebrate that in children's ministries, and we celebrate that in youth ministries, and on Sunday mornings for adults, we, we say, look what, look what David was able to do. He overcome, and we come away from that story, and we say, well, be an overcomer like David. Go kill a Goliath in your life. How can we live with that tension and say, that was okay for him to kill because he was the enemy? So, are there times when it's okay to take another human life? Or was that just an exception that was like, that was Old Testament, Pastor Jim, and, and so really we shouldn't even preach about it. Don't talk about him anymore. So what do you do with stuff like that? You can remember sitting in ethics and logic classes and having level six conversations after class on these kind of subjects. Was it wrong for God to destroy every person on the face of the earth with the exception of eight people in Genesis chapter six through eight? Did God break the sixth commandment by saying, you know what, I've had it. You walked away from me, sinful people. I can't take it anymore. I am, I am annihilating, taking out and wiping out everyone but eight people. Did God break the sixth commandment by doing that? See, it gets complex, doesn't it? So if you land your answer, whatever you land on on this, you have to back it up with Scripture. Was it wrong for Phineas... When in, in, in the Old Testament, in Numbers 25, he took a javelin. He saw this man who was, who, was, who was intimate with this woman who wasn't his wife. He was so upset that he would do something so, so horrible in the face of God. He's supposed to be a godly man that he took his javelin, ran it through the both of them, just stuck it right through and killed them both. Was he justified? Was that murder? Was that killing? Did God say, praise you for doing that? What do you do with those kind of passages? Well, Pastor Jim, it's just, I don't know. Was it wrong for Elijah to kill hundreds of the prophets of the false god Baal? Well, sure, they're the enemy. They're like, you know, they're, they're, they, don't, they didn't follow Yahweh, Elohim. They didn't do that. So that was justified. In that case, it's justified because they were evil. So are there evil people in our world today that don't follow our God? They're like Muslims, so let's just go kill the Muslims. What do you do? Where do you find, where do you, where do you land on this stuff? Was it wrong for the congregation of Israel in Numbers 15 to kill a man because he gathered his sticks out of his yard on the Sabbath? So if a storm blows through and this tree lands in your driveway, and across your neighbor's driveway and on your car and you take out your steel chainsaw, your neighbor comes over, is it wrong? Is it wrong for a policeman to use his gun and perhaps even kill someone in order to protect the innocent and enforce the law? Oh, wait a minute, Pastor Jim, that's a whole other story. Now you're talking about protecting, and, and that, you know, that person was innocent. Is that person still not a human being carrying the image of, of Jesus Christ and God? Is it wrong for a soldier on the battlefield to kill someone to defend his country and to, because he has orders from above and he's obeying his orders and he's fallen under that authority? Has he broken the sixth commandment? Or is it possible for everyone in this room to commit murder with our words, our actions, and our minds? Are we more guilty and maybe just as guilty of someone who's incarcerated because they took the life of an individual and murdered them and was premeditated? So what's the definition of murder? Let's begin there. What's a good definition of murder? The technical definition of murder from a legal perspective carries a, a, a simple statement with, with three things that define murder. The definition of murder is this, the unjustified taking of human life. The unjustified taking of human life. So, okay, my head says, okay, if there's unjustified, so is the justified taking of human life not murder? The Sixth Commandment prohibits the capricious killing of another person. So there's, there, there, if that's being the case, then what is, what you must assume three things about murder. These three things must be evidently clear in order for it to be murder. The first is this, that the one being killed is innocent of any wrongdoing. 
Secondly, under our law, that the one doing the killing has no justification for his action. And thirdly, under our law that we live in today, that the killer meant to kill. So, take those three things in consideration and you play them out. That's murder. One has said this, and I think it's a good, 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 good thing to think through. All murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. All murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. There is probably not one of us in this room, including myself, that's been completely innocent of the sixth commandment. In fact, the word that's used here, ratash, in the Hebrew for murder, it's a great, by the way, great translation by the NIV. It's murder. It's not kill. Thou shall not kill. It's thou shall not, you shall not murder. There's a big difference between kill and murder. It's used 47 times in the Bible, and it always means murder. Is there a difference between killing and murder? Absolutely yes. C.S. Lewis said it this way, all killing is no more murder than all sexual intercourse is adultery. Think through that. Let, wrap that in your mind around that. All killing is no more murder than all sexual intercourse is adultery. There is a difference. Many times in the Old Testament, God commanded capital punishment for certain kinds of crimes. Okay, some of you are saying, so what does this message mean to me? How, how does this apply to me? Well, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus raised the bar when it came to the law. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. When he came, he elevated the law. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 in the New Testament. Look at Matthew chapter 5 and look at verse 21. Jesus was, was speaking here the Beatitudes. He was giving these sermonettes. And, and, and so if you look at these sermonettes, each one has a heading. Something very interesting here, if, if you've ever noticed, maybe you have noticed, maybe you haven't noticed, but the beginning of each one of these, these sermons and each one of these things that he had, these truths that he wanted to give out, he says this phrase in a similar way. Look at verse 21 of chapter 5. Jesus said this, you have heard that it was what? Look at verse 27 when we talk about adultery. You have heard that it was what? Look at verse 31. It has been what? Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said. Look at verse 38, you have heard that it was what? Said. And then verse 43, you have heard that it was what? Jesus is right away saying, hey, this is truth. This was said in the Old Testament. He brings validity. He brings power. He elevates the Old Testament by doing this. He's saying the Old Testament is literal words of God, and he lifts it up himself. He elevates and says, listen, you have heard, and it's been said. And so he opens up chapter 5. Look what he says here in verse, chapter 5, verse 21 to 24. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not what? Murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that anyone who is what? Angry with his what? Will be subject to judgment. Boy, are we guilty of that one. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of what? Look at verse 23. And then Jesus said, therefore. Okay, the, the therefore is you got to go before. Therefore, since I said this. So verse 21 to 22. Therefore, because I said this, if you are offering your gift at the altar and, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Jesus uses the word raka. It's an Aramaic word meaning empty. It's like looking at someone who says, dude, you don't have any brains. There's nothing up top. There, you're a raka. It has the idea of, of, of empty-headed. In fact, if you were to say this in Aramaic, it would, it would even, it's kind of like gargling. It's like raka. There's a guttural sound. And remember in Hebrew class, we would say that word out loud, raka. And you had to clear your throat afterwards. It sounds disgusting. 
It was a word said with total disgust towards someone. Jesus says that those who call someone raka are answerable to the Sanhedrin, the highest court of the Jews. And then he says this on down. He says, and anyone who says you fool, the Greek word here for fool is moros, is where we get the English word moron. And it literally was accusing someone of moral and spiritual rebellion against, rebellion against God. Only a fool would rebel against God. He's saying, call someone a fool, and you, you yourself shall be guilty enough to go to fiery hell. Jesus is taking it up a notch. He's saying, hey, you don't have to just take them out, but if you call them a moron, if you call them a fool, if you call them a raka, if you call them an empty-headed, if you speak with your mouth in angry ways that aren't just, you are judged and literally can be thrown into the fiery pit of hell. You have broken the six commandments. Jesus says this, summing this little thought up. It says, anger and the devaluing of a human being with our words and action is the same as breaking the sixth commandment. Guess what? You're probably guilty. I'm probably guilty. Yes, the same as murder. You have murdered someone with your words. You've been guilty. Jesus gives us three ways. Of, of, and scripture gives us three ways. If you, if you kind of just summarize how you do that with your words, you can go to James. You, you can look in Ephesians. You can look in the epistles. But there's three ways that we actually murder people without shedding a drop of blood. We do it with our words. The first way is through uncontrolled anger. In fact, 1 John 3.15 says it this way. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. It's anger that's not righteous anger. It's anger that, that, that is built up. It's uncontrolled. Have you ever witnessed it? It's anger that tends to flare up the most with people that you, that you love the most. It sometimes happens between a husband and a wife. It sometimes happens between friends. It sometimes happens between siblings. It sometimes happens between a boss and an employee. It's with people that you might know the best or even like or love the most. It's uncontrolled. It's like you just say things and it's, it's just, it's, this, this temper breaks loose in you and it, you are uncontrolled with your anger. It doesn't often happen with someone that's not your friend because we suddenly don't normally blow our top because we don't know them as well. I've watched it on all kinds of arenas. I've watched it on softball diamonds. I've seen it on basketball courts where someone, the call didn't go their way and they just take it out on the ref. I mean, they're ready just to just murder him literally with their hands. And they do with their words. And in their minds, they think it's justified. And no, Jesus said, no, even if you have murder with your words, you have murdered someone with your mouth. I've witnessed it on blogs. I've witnessed it on emails and on, on letters. I've seen it between husbands and wives and kids. I've seen it in business meetings. I've seen it and heard about it in church splits where two people, supposedly men and women of God, hate each other and just throw these, spoo these words at each other. And it's like, no, you've broken the sixth commandment. You've murdered that person just to prove that you're right. I've seen people with pride step in and feel like they have the need to, to say these words because they know they're right and they've murdered people. I've seen it and witnessed it by people flipping the bird to someone, driving their car because someone in front of them is going 10 miles under the speed limit and they just murder them. Ephesians 4.26 does give us some clarification that in our anger, we can have righteous anger, but in your anger, do not sin. Righteous anger is not sinful. There's many ways you have righteous anger. Jesus lived it out many, many times. I mean, I'm righteously angry with human sex slavery in our world. I'm righteously angry with domestic violence. There's other areas that I'm righteously angry with what's taking place. Another way that, that we murder with our words is abusive speech. It's when you speak in a disparaging way with, with idiot-like phrases, or like, boy, they're just a moron, or I hate her guts, or I wish he was dead, or I'd be better off without her, or another jargon, you worthless son of a motherless giraffe. 
or another version of that. You see, some of you are personal hitmen with your words. Then there are those people who just rip people up and down with tweets, with Facebook posts, under the umbrella of righteousness. God told me to say this. Well, if he told you to say that, then he probably should have told me I would be receiving it. I've been murdered many times at the ministry at Grace Community Church. And when I read posts and when I leave conversations with people, I just shake my head and think, oh, oh. You can murder someone by not shedding a drop of blood. You can also murder someone, thirdly, in an interpersonal, with interpersonal animosity. This is what 23 and 24 is showing here. It's delayed reconciliation. It means it'll increase your animosity if you don't go to that person before you come to worship at Grace Community Church and you're carrying this anger, you're carrying this, this resentment, you're carrying this issue, and he says, you are just murdering them. And this animosity is murder if you come and, and lay your, take, give out your offerings and you worship God. Meanwhile, you have this issue that you have bitterness and resentment for this person. He, Jesus said, hey, you need to go and make that right. Some of you murder daily and make the son of Sam and Jeffrey Dahmer's look like a choir boy. But you're okay with that. Well, but I'm mad and I'm angry. In your workplace, your church, your home, and every place you've been are just strewn with dead corpse because you've murdered. You murdered with your words. There they are. And it's like, boy, can you tell he went through? There they are, just dead, 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 dead. And they have this sense, well, I'm right. I know I'm right. I need to speak and tell the truth. And meanwhile, God is saying, you are guilty of the sixth commandment. And I just shake my head when I see posts and tweets, receive emails. You would laugh, as I have, of some of the things that I've been accused of. And I think, oh, sixth commandment, oh, sixth commandment. See, Jesus takes this commandment seriously. He is saying that some of you may be murderers this morning with a smile on your lips and singing, oh, no, never let go. And you could be singing that with a smile on your lips and inside of your mouth, you have just committed murder. See, your tongue is a lethal weapon. And you have committed premeditated murder with your tongue. It's not often we think about it that way. Now, you put a gun in our hand or a sword in our hand or you teach me a way to defend myself that can take a life. It's not often that we look at our tongue. We know that it has the power of life and death and it speaks life or it speaks death. But we don't really wake up and say, man, look at this, look at this weapon. But it is. You have committed premeditated murder and your tongue has become a lethal weapon and you are on God's most wanted list for murder. Now let me ask you this question. Does this commandment apply to us today? You see, we are quick to justify our actions, but Jesus isn't. And so when he stood before this, people would say, you have heard, you have heard, and it's been said, you have heard, and it's been said. And he said, not only has it been said, but I'm going to raise the bar a little bit, and I'm going to say, even with your words, you have committed murder. That's one side of this commandment. There's also a bunch of other sides, and I'm just going to touch on a few of them. Also in this room are many who carry some unusual pain and guilt because of your past. Some of you have been given some confusing information regarding this sixth commandment. Some of you have served in the armed forces and are carrying misappropriated guilt from your battles. I even received a message this week from a man who has served. I'll leave it at that and saying, I'm not looking forward to the sixth commandment this week, Pastor Jim. A man carrying guilt and shame that he shouldn't be carrying. 
And there's people who carry in this room, and I just want to speak to those you have served here in, in the main, across the world, and the internet, and, and the link. Some of you have served, and, and you carry this guilt and the shame because someone has misused this commandment. They've mistranslated it, and they say that you are guilty, and so you're afraid because of your past that there's this something in your past that you were obeying the government that you were serving in the military uh, authorities above you, and because of that, you were defending and protecting, and a life was taken, and somehow you wonder if you've broken the six commandments. The answer to that is you haven't broken the six commandments. While taking of a human life is never to be taken lightly, the consistent teaching of Scripture is that there are times when the taking of human life is justified. That's where I land today. In order to stop the spread of evil, the Bible makes it very clear that God has authorized the government in which the heart of the king is in the hand of God, the government to enforce the law and punish offenders. Turn to Romans chapter 13, please. Romans chapter 13. By the way, you don't have to agree with me on this, but I'm going to show you why I believe this to be true. Let's discover from Scripture what Scripture says. Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. Look what it says. Romans 13, verses 1 through 5. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. How many people are supposed to submit? What's it say? Everyone. For there is no authority except that which God has what? Established. So, God has established authority. God has the heart of the king in his hand. Even though you might not think he does, even though you wonder if he's in control, it says that God has established. And it says this, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Paul says this in verse 2. Consequently, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Verse 3. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do what? Wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? If so, then do what is right, and he will commend you. Now look at verse 4. For he is whose servant? God's servant. To do you what? Good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for what? That's a powerful statement there. In other words, weapons or weaponry or, or, or things that are used for protection. We just don't have tanks and we just don't have weapons that, boy, we put them on the wall and say, isn't that a beautiful piece of, of, of information and, 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 and artillery? No, we have them because we, we need to use them. We just don't have them for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. In other words, we have to use the sword as a defense mechanism against the agents that are, that are doing evil. Then it says this. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. The Bible makes it clear that government has authorized that God has authorized the government to enforce laws and punish offenders. In fact, Ecclesiastes 3.8 says there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. However, we got to keep in mind. Look at Romans chapter 12. This is the goal. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. Same author that said this in chapter 13 says this in verse 18. If it is what? Possible. As far as it depends on whom? You live at what? Peace with who? Everyone. If it is possible. I love taking some logic into this. In other words, if it is possible, it's a conditional clause. It means there are times it isn't possible. It times when you say there will be times where peace is not possible. But Make sure you work hard. Make sure the goal is to get peace. Make sure you strive for peace between individuals and between people and between groups. It means there will be times when peace isn't possible. And so what do you do? Then you defend. You protect. You do what it takes to get 
the situation under control. I often have people ask me this question, and I'm okay with that. They ask me, do you think Jesus was a pacifist? That's a loaded question for a pastor of Grace Community Church, by the way. I answer it. I think there are times he wasn't. And you know what? I'm okay if you disagree with me on that. And so people ask me that because I look in the New Testament. Twice I see in the New Testament, he cleansed the temple by force. He says he made a whip and he went in and he cleansed the temple. He didn't politely ask them, would you please, pretty please, get out of here. Jesus walked in, he had righteous anger, and he picked up this whip, and he turned over the tables. He was upset. He was using righteous anger to move these people out. He, he realized that's the only way to get these people out. He didn't get them in a group and sing, this sing kumbaya, and then everything will be better. He didn't. He walked in, and he took a whip because he was righteously angry, and so he knew he needed force in order for them to be run out of the temple. He forced them out. They were in the wrong place. So he forced them out. John chapter 2 and verses 15 to 16 shares along those same lines. And then there's this passage in the New Testament that you can't just kind of just do a, a theological jump over. And you, I mean, I've seen it justified. I've seen it done in a, a zillion ways. And I've seen definitions. And, but the definition is clear in my mind. Turn to Luke chapter 22. In the context of this passage, in the context of the pericope, in the context of the chapter, in the context of the book, and in the context of the Bible. That's how you always interpret scripture. People will disagree with you. I have people disagree with me on different occasions. I'm okay with that. Luke chapter 22 and verse 36. Look what it says here. He said to them, Jesus said to them, but now, if you have a purse, by the way, that's funny to me. If you have a man purse, take it. Get rid of that thing. No, he didn't say that. But if you have a purse, take it. And also a bag. And if you don't have a what? Sword. Sell your cloak, but he says keep your purse, and buy one. Why did he tell him to do that? Why did he look at these followers of the way and turn to him and say, hey, if you have a cloak, get rid of your cloak and go buy a sword. Did he just have it so you can just set it in the office and you can bring it out for dad fest and draw a line in the sand? Is that why? Is, is it just this beautiful, you know, wow, look at, look at, look how that was just crafted. No, it was to defend themselves. It was to say, I need to defend myself. And he said, there will be times when you will have to defend yourself. And so Jesus himself said, sell your coat Trade it in for a sword. I don't know how you get around that. Jesus knew there would be times they needed to defend themselves. So let me just say this, by the way. In fact, Romans 13, verse 4, we saw, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. So let me just say this, because it needs to be said. And I say this from the graciousness of my heart. For those of you who are vets in the military, who have submitted to the authority of the government, and served our country well. And because of your involvement in defending that a life of an individual was taken, you are not going to hell for that. And you have not broken the six commandments. And it was not murder. And I want to tell you, I thank you for serving and defending America. With that being said, there are many of you in the, the midst of battle who have experienced some horrific things and sights as a result of your involvement, and you carry a huge burden this day. I want you to know that you have not sinned. You have served your country well, and there is a God that says, there is thou, and therefore no condemnation to you. Also for clarity's sake, I do believe that peace should be pursued at all costs. I'm not a person who says go in and just kill to kill. 
I also respect and value any stand that you make concerning war. Whether you're non-combatant, a pacifist, or serving on the front lines, you are entitled to take whatever stand you want to take. And I will honor and respect that. But when you begin to force your view on another human being and verbally attack them for the view that they have taken, then you have crossed the line. I have good friends and colleagues. And maybe you're in this room who disagree with me. I'm okay with that. And I'm okay that you choose to disagree with me. All this to say this to those who have served. Please, don't carry that burden any longer because of some person who has mistranslated the text. You don't need to live with shame and guilt. We are grateful that you have served our country well. Along the way, I have had soldiers come to me in tears and, and say thank you. Because they carry this guilt and this shame that's put upon them, afraid to admit that they've served their country well. And all they did was submit to authority that Romans 13 talks about. Can we please live in a way that respects them for respecting what they believe the word of God says? Enough said. There's some other areas that need address regarding murder. How about suicide? Ecclesiastes 7.17 says, if it is possible for us to die before our time. It is possible. And one of the ways it's possible for us to die before our time is if we take our own life. We murder ourselves because that is what happens. A suicide is a personal murder on a, the individual. One of the primary ways that happens is through us getting to a very, very low place. Now hear me out on this. Hear me clearly on this. If you're a person... If you know a person who got so low, so clinically depressed, desperate, hopeless, maybe you have a family member, maybe you have a father, maybe you have a mother, maybe you have a, a sibling, maybe you have a friend, and they took their own life. Listen to me clearly here. Don't misquote me. If, in fact, they had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they were born again, spirit-filled, they had a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, it is possible for them to get so low, so depressed, so hopeless because of a variety of things in their lives, chemical imbalance, a variety of sin in their life, that they could get so low that they could take their life. But if they take their life, listen to me, hear me clearly. If they had a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, their next breath is in the presence of a gracious, merciful Father, God himself. I believe that with all of my heart. Our salvation, we don't earn. It's a gift from God. If, in fact, we believe that somehow we can lose it on our own with our own works or keep it with our works, then what we've done, we've taken the work of God that happened before the foundation of man, this incredible gift of grace, we've placed it in our hands and said, I'll earn my way to God. No human being with sin could ever earn his way to God on the own. It's a total act of grace and praise the Lord for that. Now listen to me. These are very controversial issues, and I'm not trying to make them controversial. I'm not saying that, that somehow that, that, that this person gets saved, that there's not fruit. If it's a genuine act of salvific experience, this person will have fruit, and only God himself knows that. But listen, if it's genuine, you can never, God will never leave you nor forsake you. You are his held by the hand of an infinite, perfect, sovereign God, and then you could not pull yourself out of his hand. So many people will stand differently on that. But I choose to believe that salvation is the total work of a gracious God and not by our works. The classic response to suicide is this. 
the person never had a chance to confess their sin before they died. And so if, in fact, they didn't confess their sin, then they must go to hell. Come on. When I hear that logic, I just want to, and I will, I'll blow it right, I'm going to knock it down. Suppose you're out driving in your vehicle. I know this to be true. A tree falls on your vehicle. Prior to that morning, you had a rift with your wife or your, your brother or your sister or your teacher. You, were, you had unrighteous anger. You sinned. You get in your car. You drive down the road. You are born again, redeemed, spirit-filled Christian driving down the road. A tree falls on your vehicle. You die. Do you go to hell because you didn't repent of that prior experience? Come on. No. God took all your sins and took them to the cross. If that's the case, yes, we should confess our sins daily. Then once again, we are keeping our salvation and we would have to 24-7 just confess sin, confess sin, confess sin, confess sin, confess sin, confess sin. It's ludicrous to think that way. So, to say because that person didn't confess their sin that they go to hell is a misinterpretation of Scripture. Sin is sin. All sin leaves us short of God. There's no classification of sin. All sin was covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, even taking a human life. The only unforgivable sins that I know of in Scripture are blaspheming of the Holy Spirit and a total rejection of Jesus Christ, which means pre-salvation. I reject the Holy Spirit. I reject that God is God. I reject this salvation experience. It's pre-salvation. Nothing that I see in Scripture happens post-salvation. It's pre-salvation. A rejection and blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is to happen prior to salvation. If, in fact, that's the case, then you will go to hell. And the reason you go to hell is because you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me say this too. Suicide is directly counter to the power of life that God so strongly has put into creation. Everywhere we look, we see life growing, even in the most hostile environments. But there's this survival instinct. It's a gift from God that's in us. He didn't bestow this gift upon his creation. That if he didn't do it, there would probably not be any life at all. And suicide then is directly contrary to the will of God. And it, it originated in the demonic host who come to kill, steal, and destroy. However, the Bible never says that if a person commits suicide, who knows Jesus Christ will go to hell. It is silent on that issue. So what do you do? You build a foundation that says, this is what I know to be true. This is what I know to be true. This is what I know to be true. The only thing that sends us into eternity of hell is lostness and not a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you know someone that was born again yet found themselves in the pit of despair and took their life, I'm sorry that you had to experience that. But I believe from God's word that you will see them again if you have a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not God's perfect ideal plan and yes, they cut their lives short, but the blood of Jesus Christ covered that lonely, broken, and desperate heart. Last issue. What do you do with abortion? Boy, am I going to get hit this week with all kinds of good things. I don't care. This is what I believe God's word says. I believe as soon as a man and woman come together and they conceive, life begins, it's a human being. From the very second that the conception takes place, it is a human being. And to take the life of a human being is murder. It is. You cannot get around that. I don't care how many theological hoops you want to jump through. Listen to me. It's life. It's human life. Yet there are women in this room today who have carried this burden with them way too long. And there are men who have talked their girlfriends and their wives into aborting. Listen to me. As horrible as that is, as sinful as that is, listen to me. 
please listen to me. Jesus can forgive that horrible act. He took that to the cross. And if we begin to say he didn't die for that sin, then who are we to say that he didn't die for other sins too? Jesus took it to Calvary. If you confess that sin, don't let the secret sin that has the blood of Jesus covering keep you from being less than your best for Jesus. He has forgiven you as far as the east is from the west. The only reason you continue to live in shame and guilt is because of probably someone who's murdering you with the words or because of our opposer called Satan who is accusing you daily. Listen to me, you have been forgiven. We all make foolish decisions. But listen to me. Come out of the closet. You got to come from the underground and go tell your story and speak into some other person's life who might be considering doing that and say, no. Tell them. If you can't care for that child, there are many people who would love to adopt that child and raise that child for you. Come out from the underground, speak truth, and don't live in shame and guilt anymore and become the person that Christ intended you to become. Live in freedom and not bondage. Please, did you hear me? God has forgiven you. You must not let this act haunt you the rest of your life. You must know that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. With that being said, just let these words cover you with grace today. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen to me, right now, positionally, it tells us in scripture that you are seated with Jesus Christ. Your feet dangle with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Don't believe another lie from the enemy otherwise. So, many have broken this commandment and need to repent. Some of you are carrying guilt and shame that has already been forgiven. Jesus paid the price for both. Jesus paid it all. All of our sin, all of it. Nothing was left out, all of it. 